0: People pay money to see me in a 20 by 20 ring.
1: everybody, welcome to another edition of the 20x20 20 20 Crew. I am your co-host Joe, I'm here with Matt and the ever-elusive Mr. Wrestling 6. And this is a bonus show for us. We're going to celebrate the 20-year anniversary of King of the Ring 1998. The infamous Hell in a Cell match between The Undertaker and Mick Foley as Mankind is part of this card. Hello, gents, how are you?
2: Good, happy uh, happy 20 years for the King of the Ring. What were you guys doing 20 years ago today?
1: 20 years ago today, you know what? I, I was at my godfather's house watching this on pay-per-view through a cheater box, sorry to say. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: Had my uh, high school graduation party. Uh, went to a buddy's house who had a big screen TV and watched this with two of my other buddies. And I remember just being uh, crazy and just reambunctious all night. Like, we were just amped up. And, you know, we were 18 at the time. There was no <laughs> drugs or booze or anything at the time. Uh, but we were just amped up. We were excited. You know, it was the Attitude Era. It was a great time for wrestling. You know, everything about it was fun. It was a great night.
1: I was doing shots of tequila with my godfather. I was also 18. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you were...
2: Shot to tequila, watching yes. illegal cable. Yes, you were uh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was, I was eight, and I was also watching on illegal cable. Basically, the Cody of of the nineties. Yeah, you know, pretty much. You know, you get to every channel you want, all the pay per views, all four of them, I think, at the time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was watching this one live too, and this was this was the first pay per view for me that I i had rented at the video store multiple times, and a lot of it was because of of, of two two reasons on, on the card: the Hell in mm-hmm. Cell match, and then the guy who we'll talk about later, who, who won the uh, King of the Ring tournament. I'm, I was a huge fan of, so yeah, this was a I I really hold a special place for this one for for the King of the Ring '98. I guess talked about a lot because of that one match, but as we as we go through the card. There's a lot of other cool stuff that happened.
1: The uh, the promotional poster has uh, a gigantic guillotine covered in blood with Sable standing next to it. And it says, off with their heads. I'm always curious as to the uh, the origins and whereabouts of, of these promotional posters and their the decisions on making them. To me, there's like really no rhyme or reason. It's just like, oh, Sable's going to be there. Throw a fucking guillotine. King <laughs> of the Rings. You know, shit like that. So... Uh, it's always interesting to see them. Um, this event was sponsored by Super Soaker. Do you guys remember Super Soakers?
0: Hell yes, I do.
1: Did you guys ever have a Super Soaker?
0: I had a couple. They didn't last very long.
1: Yeah, I had one. It was it, it had a short shelf life, to say the least. It wasn't even uh, a, a gigantic one. You know, like they used to have like the big fucking like whole eighteen gallons of water kind of bullshit. No, I had I had a small one, and it died.
2: I had a cheap dollar store knockoff one yeah Yeah, that's about as good as it got for me i i but i come from a big family so
1: well you know you know what we usually did water balloons most of the time those were fun yeah that was a good time
2: i just used the hose on the (laughs) (laughs) sink hose or whatever that thing is called
1: um this took place june 28th 1998 so 20 years ago to the day the attendance was a little over seventeen thousand, and it took place at the Pittsburgh Civic Civic Arena in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And this pay-per-view was sandwiched uh, in between uh, two in-your-house cards. Uh, before the King of Ring, King of the Ring, they had Over the Edge in your house, and then after they would have Fully Loaded in your house.
2: Yeah, at the time, King of the Ring was like a one of the big big pay per views Yeah, year. it was it was a
1: major pay-per-view. I don't remember the the price bracketing for. For the, uh, the in your houses at this point, I don't know if they had went to uh, a main pay per view price bracket or not. I, I don't know if they were still on the cheap, but um, nonetheless, you still have King of the Ring as a major pay per view at this point. Uh, we actually have it playing in the background right now, and there's a qualifying match between The Rock and Dan the Beast Severn. Dan Dan Severn was kind of uh, an odd performer to have here. in in the WWF. At least for me, because to me, he screams legitimate Kashuk fighter. And he was. Yeah, basically what he was. And much more more than Ken Shamrock. To me, anyway. Um, And I think, if I'm not mistaken, he came into this um, either in contention for the NWA Heavyweight title, or he was the NWA Heavyweight Champion.
2: I don't remember, but uh, I just... I just remember him facing the Rock, and at the time, I, I hated the Rock so bad. I just wanted him to break his, just break him. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> that that tell, was. Tell that, me how you really feel. Yeah, man. that was that was my mentality, and, <laughs> and I look I look back at it now, and I was like, what was I thinking? Like, I mean, not, nothing against Dan over here, but it's like, I mean, I was I became quickly became a huge Rock fan. It's like I, I take it all back now, but at the time,
0: I want I want to see the Rock suffer. About then, Dan Severn. He definitely had like, a, he was intimidating coming into the ring. He was intense. I mean, he wasn't, uh, he didn't have a lot of charisma or flamboyant or anything. You know, it's a shame he never used his mustache powers because that's a <laughs> great looking stash.
1: He's he's like, uh, uh, what's his name from Queen? Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury. Yeah, he's like, like Freddie Mercury's beefed up, Mercury. beefed up brother. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am not the champion. <laughs>
1: um. So, uh, you have the actual King of the Ring tournament happen uh, here, or finish here, I should say. You also have a Hell in a Cell match, and then you have a few uh, undercard matches. I don't know what the dark match was for that, that event, but the show does open with a, tag, a six-man tag between the Headbangers and Takamitsunoku against Kayentai, which was actually Funaki, Mensteo, and Dick Togo. Uh, that one a little over six minutes, about almost seven minutes. you and I you and I, as in the three of us, were talking before we started recording about uh, the authenticity of the headbangers and uh, whether they were true headbangers or not. Can you think of one act that you guys would have sported to the ring like on a t-shirt or what have you, if uh, you were the headbangers at the time? This is June of 98 Pantera. Pantera,
2: Pantera be a good one. I, I think I think you guys know the answer for me. I'd be rocking one of my many Slayer shirts <laughs> of that era. Yeah, you know what? To me, the the headbangers just kind of like at the time I I I was watching them and this, I was just really starting to get into metal. Uh, my feet went into metal, and I I looked at these guys like, oh man, these guys are in the same stuff I am, and then I just quickly kind of kind of got that i that idea that like I don't know, maybe maybe this is just an act maybe this is just uh scripted because it just it didn't seem like it was legit to me it was those parts where it seemed really forced as far as like a gimmick so i i don't know i don't i would like to know if if they are actually true headbangers or if they like uh if they're
0: radio rockers
1: radio rockers
0: i totally agree with that uh <laughs> A lot of people know that Matt and I are roughly 10 years apart. So I'm 18 at this point, and, uh, you know, I still don't know everything about metal. But I, even at that time, I felt I was uh, I had earned my stripes, and I was definitely a, a metalhead. And uh, I, I questioned the same thing. Like, at first, I was like, oh, you know, these guys are pretty cool. Yeah, it seems some hokiness about it. But when you're seeing them wear Mar- Marilyn Manson T-shirts every single week, and, and don't get me wrong, Marilyn Manson was probably our time – no problem but my whole point with that is like switch it up uh another question was you know were they being force fed you know like hey you have to wear this even even if they were real headbangers yeah, yeah, like I, yeah what gets filtered yeah you know?
1: what gets filtered you know what you know that, shit at this point yeah that could have uh, definitely been a possibility you know who's to say they weren't Slayer fans or yeah. Pantera fans? Well, I mean, it'd be the
2: same thing if if they if they, even if they wore Slayer shirts all the time. It's like, is that all you listen to is Slayer? You know, I mean, it's yeah. It, it's when you wear the same thing over and over again. It's that that isn't your own. Like if you're wearing your own t shirt, that that's whatever or whatever. If you're wearing a group t shirt, but when you're wearing a band shirt, it's just. And, and you, we see this with with people that. Outside of wrestling, who are quote unquote wrestling or, excuse me, metal fans, and you know, we're in the same bands over and over again. It's like, well, that maybe that's all you like, or maybe you just like the design, you're not really into metal the way that a metalhead would be. Because let's face facts here, in 1998 or 2018, metal is still the redheaded stepchild of music, and if you are a fan of metal. You're generally going to be pretty hardcore about it, dedicated because you got to do all the work to get all the information on it. It's not like you can listen to the radio and, hey, the uh, the new the new Slayer album or the new Metallica. I won't mention Metallica, not not so much because they are more radio played than other bands. But you know, it's it's not like it's not like it's easy to get. I mean, it's easier now with the internet, but it's not as easy to obtain as it is with other genres of music. So when you see the same shit over and over again, it's you start to question the authenticity
0: of uh, of their fan base. I totally agree. Uh, just one last thing about that is, you know, being a huge metalhead, you know, the bands that you're really passionate about, you want to fly that flag. Oh, yeah. You absolutely. know, like, I don't want to wear the same Pantera shirt all the time. I want to wear, you know, the other different band shirts. I want to fly that flag.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, like with Slayer shirts, I, I made the mention of it. I don't know my exact count. It's it's got to be close to 30 if not more Slayer shirts alone.
0: And that's just because they're they're my favorite band. And your wife must love you because she doesn't have to do laundry often. <laughs> she doesn't have to do
2: laundry. No, exactly. She's 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 a happy wife. That that's how I keep her happy. I keep buying more shirts. <laughs> but, but but yeah, like it's it's just it's like you said, you know, different album shirts, different designs. You know, it's and it's not just Slayer, it's I mean it's it's all the other bands that uh that I represent. Same thing with wrestlers. You know, I don't I don't want to wear the same bullet club shirt all the time, you know. So I I I've bought multiple multiple ones. One for individuals, one for uh, different designs of the of the actual group itself. So yeah, I I don't like wearing the same one. I wanna I wanna represent and and uh, kinda of spread the, the word a little bit more as much, much as I can. And it's really cool. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. I was just gonna say real quick, because t-shirts are kind of like removable tattoos to me. It's, it's, uh, it's you know when you when you wear when you have a tattoo and this is what the tap- tattoo represents. It usually has a story. For me, like I don't buy shirts because ooh that's a cool design. I mean that's part of the reason, but it's based off of too. Like I, I love that band or I love that wrestler. Or I love that product.
0: So it's it, it has a story to me. That's what I feel that.
2: You know a good t-shirt represents
0: i totally agree with you and that's what i mean about flying the flag whether it's metal wrestling whatever um and when you meet somebody on the street or you're at a concert or at, or at a wrestling show or even a ball game or whatever you know you connect with people oh and yeah you know, you know you talk to somebody and you could potentially make a friend not only that uh you know they could turn you on to some stuff that you don't even know about yep absolutely. and vice versa
1: king of the ring uh these are all semi-final matches that's that's where the tournament starts on the pay-per-view is a semifinals match. The first one up is Ken Shamrock defeating Jeff Jarrett, who was uh, seconded by Tennessee Lee, and he did it by submission. The match goes over uh, about five and a half minutes. I think everybody knows by now that I can't stand Jeff Jarrett, but um,
0: but you do love his birthday cake cowboy hat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> Tennessee Lee is, um, is I believe, Robert Fuller. Yeah, I, I had to
2: look him up because I had no idea who Tennessee Lee was. Yeah,
1: Robert Fuller, is he has a wrestling family, multi-generational. Uh, if you're not a fan or, or you haven't heard of the the Robert Fuller stud cast, definitely go check that podcast out. That's That's an awesome one. He's a really interesting dude, and, and I'm, I'm not even going to start on him. There's too much to talk about, but... Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, really interesting stuff with him and uh, his dealings with uh, just talent and, and organizations and him running his own stuff, and he was like one of the pioneers of wrestling production, believe it or not. Okay. Yeah, so, um, but he's a really interesting cat.
2: You I thought he was just a lame Jeff Jarrett manager. No, you know,
1: not man. no, not at all. <laughs> uh, they actually brought him in to give Jeff Jarrett some some like a little more relevancy. Okay. So um, didn't work. No, <laughs> no, no, not no, nothing. Uh, again, I'm I'm a little biased here, but to me, nothing could get Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett over nothing. So, <laughs> uh, your thoughts on Ken Shamrock though?
2: Well, Ken Shamrock was a guy that I was re- referring to with uh, when it came to the King of Ring tournament. He was the uh I'm a huge huge Ken Shamrock mark. Again, every time I talk about Ken Shamrock, I just I look at him as one of the biggest disappointments in professional wrestling cuz he should he should never left. He just I mean, I'm I'm sitting here watching his matches and at, at this at this uh pay-per-view and it's it's like, man, he's just he has he has everything that you would want out of a, uh, I guess a WWF superstar at the time. So biggest disappointment, but I was uh, that's for future Ken Shamrock. As far as uh, this particular night, I mean he just he just owned it. I mean he uh, put on a solid match with Jarrett. You know it's always good when you made him tap out with the ankle lock. And I uh, yeah I was I was a huge Ken Shamrock fan at this point in my life. Probably probably. I have to quote Booker T here, but I think he was probably in my top five
1: at that point. <laughs> <laughs> you got to say it four more times. Yeah. <laughs> the tournament continues on uh, with The Rock defeating Dan the Beast Severn in a semifinal match that goes about four and a half minutes.
2: Ends with cheating.
1: Ends with cheating. Uh, the nation gets involved, nation of domination.
2: Yeah, D.La Brown still had his uh, bulletproof vest. Yeah,
1: his chest protector. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he broke his sternum, right?
1: Yeah, he broke his sternum. I don't remember who did that though. Do you remember who, who broke his sternum? No, I, I can't I remember know. it. It was someone very heavy. I know that. Okay. But I, I don't I don't know who it was. For like sure.
2: Vader potentially.
1: I uh, am yeah, you know what it might have been Vader. Okay.
2: So yeah, they the nation came out, uh Dan Severn was uh he was pretty much dominating that that match for the most part and um typical heel fashion. Um Nation comes out, causes the uh, causes the the, the dance ever to lose the match, but uh, you know it it sets up the match that I know an eight year old Matt wanted to see because uh, if you guys remember from our WrestleMania anniversary podcast from WrestleMania 14, you know we talked about Ken Shamrock versus The Rock for the Intercontinental title and how bummed I was when Shamrock won the the match only to lose it via DQ. And I, it just it just sat with me for for months. That's how dedicated of a fan I, I kind of still am to these days, to to this day. But um, I always wanted to see Shamrock get in there and uh, get his revenge on The Rock, and this was his opportunity. So this was the match that I figured was going to happen. Yes, I was calling calling matches at eight years old. So that's <laughs> that's how boring of a person I was back then. <laughs>
1: How about those the the rocks boots with the the missing calf. Those always were were pretty legit to me. I don't think he had like super calves to be sporting them like that, but
0: no, definitely not bully Ray calves. <laughs> Um But in time, he uh, they they did develop a little bit more. Yeah, I mean it's um, it's unique. I'll give him that. You're unique. I I, I try to be.
2: <laughs> again, eight years old and I'm predicting matches. So. That's what I am. I was an eight-year-old Booker. Um, never got, never got signed though.
1: Well, there's yeah. the hope.
2: <laughs> Twenty years later, maybe.
1: Yep.
2: Um. If Vince can do it, I can do it.
1: Yeah, shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure somebody will pick you up for a booking.
2: But yeah, that was, uh, that's your, that was your semifinals.
1: And, yeah, that's uh, the end of the semifinals. So you, you've got, uh, you've got Ken Shamrock, eventually meeting The Rock in the next round. But we take a break from the, um. From the actual tournament to have a tag team match between you call it that yeah if you want to call it that uh with too much which is brian christopher and scott taylor or too sexy brian christopher and too hot scott taylor uh against al snow and the head and there's a special guest referee that gets announced at, right before the match and that's jerry the king lawler the match goes about eight and a half minutes, believe it or not.
2: Longer than the semifinal matches.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that that's there's something to be said. We there. are
2: talking about WWE, though. So, true, true. You know, it is what it is.
1: I don't even know where to begin. I don't remember the the storyline here between between these these participants and how Al Snow got rooked into having Head as his tag team partner. I think um, he chose. I'm head I'm, I'm sure that was yeah. his choice, right? <laughs> but um, the match ends with. <laughs> Brian Christopher putting, connecting, a bottle of Head and shoulder shampoo to Al Snow's uh, mannequin head. That's that. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Your thoughts on uh, too much at this point, or and or Al Snow and head?
0: As far as too much, nobody really cared then.
1: <laughs> did did they ever really care ever? I mean,
0: they were too irrelevant back then. <laughs> True, like you know. But let's face it, they they became over
1: they did i'll give them that but,
0: but as, as too much or when they became too cool
1: uh i think they were much more over as too cool than yeah. too much yeah but i mean but they still got over
2: yeah that's true that's fair they had a they had the gimmick but they i don't think they really act the part like they're supposed to be pretty boys i thought but like when you think of that like i think of like Maybe a Shawn Michaels or a Rick Martel. Yeah, at
1: the at the time, yeah. Yeah,
2: they're more just we're pretty boys, but we kind of rustle,
0: I guess. <laughs>
1: kind of rustle, and then they
0: they had more of this uh, like uh, house music dancers approach.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I always thought maybe I was just too young to get it at the time, but as I'm sitting here watching it again, I I still don't get it. Clearly
1: not if you're fucking booking matches over there.
2: <laughs> but uh. I was, I was a fan of I, I don't know if that was just a kid in me that uh, liked him i mean i know like be behind the 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 stupid gimmick was a is actually a pretty solid wrestler that knows the business pretty well but i i was a fan of the gimmick i don't think as an adult i would be it's because i i only have so many so much room for stupid gimmicks when it comes to professional you wrestling. You know
1: what, I can't remember any Al Snow gimmick I thought that I would be a fan of for long periods of time. Other than just him being Al Snow. Yeah. You know, I definitely got tired of the whole head thing. And
2: What about Pierre, the, uh, the deer head? Please. Or the <laughs> chihuahua dog he had? <laughs>
1: that he supposedly um, ate? And, uh, you know, none of that shit really stuck with me. I, I But I always do remember Al Snow as, as a, a, a good, solid worker in the ring. I kind of wish they would have uh, let him elaborate more or, like, continue on with the job squad. I always thought that had a little promise into it, but um, obviously the the company didn't see that, so...
2: Let, let's, let's picture him as Al Snow from that era and put him in today's wrestling world. I mean... Certainly, uh, in my opinion, he's he's one of those guys that, especially if you drop that gimmick, maybe you only do it every once in a while. Say, hey, I can be silly too, but just be Al Snow. I mean, he could have had a great career. And in... so you mean Gold Dust? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he could have a great career outside <laughs> of WWE. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, outside of WWE, he could he could have. I mean, like with like the Ring of Honors and and all the other indie promotions there that have actual like television time or with the internet you know they have internet now like you can become over there i mean the problem at that era was you be the gimmick in wwe or you take your shot and be a guy in wcw but it wasn't going to happen unless you were an old timer
1: for any of you listeners out there who actually bought one of the styrofoam heads at a at a show, whether it be a house show, pay per view, whatever, email me or or if you still have it, send me a photo. I want to know. I want to know how much you paid for the damn thing, because um, those things were over over like fucking crazy, and they had to have been making some fat bank off of those things. Do you remember how
2: much they cost?
1: No, I want to say between ten and fifteen bucks. If okay. I had to take a guess.
2: Yeah, I, to me, Al Snow is, uh, he's, he's definitely proven himself to be a guy that knows the business very well. And he, um, kind of the wrong place, wrong wrong time, wrong era almost, it seems, because he was nothing more than a joke almost wherever he went. And it's a shame, because I actually thought he was, he, I, actually, I know he's a solid, he's a solid in-ring worker. Um, but yeah, as far as this match goes, it's a filler match, typical filler match. I don't know the angle, I don't remember the angle. I really don't know what kind of angle you could have when you're fighting against a mannequin head, but <laughs> Whatever. I don't
1: know. Um to put put uh to put some more padding into the card, uh they actually continue on with non tournament matches. And we see X Pac, who's seconded by China, uh go up against Owen Hart in a singles match. Um this goes for almost nine minutes, it's about eight and a half minutes. That they wrestle for Owen. Owen gets juice. He gets bloodied up. Yeah, from a spot in the corner, I believe. Yep. X Pac, what can I say about X Pac that isn't already said? I mean, guy's an excellent worker. I think. I think. I. I pretty much agree with you what you said, uh, while we were having dinner earlier, uh, in that he was. He, he was always a good worker. It just he just seemed like he couldn't keep his shit together. Yeah, my my, my exact words was he
2: he gets overlooked with being one of the biggest disappointments in, in pro wrestling because it, it's one of those it could have been one of those examples kind of like with Stone Cold where a guy gets fired from WCW because he wasn't he wasn't had no value according to them comes back to WWE and. <clears throat> I mean, just almost instantaneously is 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 over. And you have you have now this this playground to showcase your ability, which there's tons of it. Great in ring worker. One of those kind of like the, the at that time, the a high flyer type esque, you know, persona that wasn't really being done all that much uh really anywhere on the the three major American platforms, eh, ECW, a little bit more obviously, but when you compare it to WCW, not including the Cruiserweight, which kind of got thrown into its own little category of here, like they can play for a while in the pre-show, but like everything else was, you know, it was the same type of wrestling, and here comes X Pac, who was like a breath of fresh air, and he just he had he had everything, he had the, he had the the crowd in his hands, he had the in-ring talent. And he just he just didn't know how to stop fucking up, and it's it's a shame because I I wish we could be talking about X Pac as man. Remember when he was just a European champion or just a tag team champion? Because that's a guy that if he if he kept his stuff together, he probably could have been a world champion. And it's it's a shame that he never allowed himself to grow to that because of uh, whatever
0: he was doing behind the scenes.
1: True, very true. Totally agree with that one.
0: I was a big X-Pac fan. Six-Pac, whatever you want to call him. Sean Waltman. What was, one, two, three,
1: kid. What was your favorite X-Pac uh, move? Bronco Buster. Bronco Buster? Yeah, you? Bronco Buster? Yeah, Bronco Buster. Um,
2: I always loved his uh, spinning heel kick. Yeah, that was pretty cool. He did it really well. Yes, he did. But yeah, the Bronco Buster was always fun. I, I admittedly... Did uh, did a couple bronco busters in my day, and uh, I hurt myself more than I hurt anybody else. So. Speaking of that spinning hill
0: kick, Owen Hart was another one who pulled it off really well. And yes. in, that, in that match, did we did we see that? I don't remember. Uh, seeing No, that. I don't think he did in that match. Uh, like where they bolted out, you know, at at one point to one another.
1: No, I don't think so. Not in that match. Uh, my favorite was the uh, the leg drop where he would he wouldn't like. He, oh, yeah. He wouldn't necessarily get any height off of it. He would just kind of, like, drag drag himself onto mm-hmm. the guy and, like, roll across his face, basically. Mm-hmm. That was always pretty cool. That looked like it hurt like a son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, X-Pac defeats Owen Heart Again, another match where it's not part of the tournament, but you have the New Age Outlaws, uh, Billy Gunn and Road Dogg, defending the Tag Team Championships with China uh, against the new Midnight Express... With Jim Cornette, this was par- this was probably a little bit of the last NWA angle stuff that was going on. Uh, the New Midnight Express was Bodacious Bart Gunn and Bombastic Bob Holly, <laughs> and they were the NWA tag team champions going into this match. That was a pretty pretty horrible angle at the time. Uh, it didn't really get a lot of push. Um, I I understand. I, you got to understand. I'm a big NWA fan mm-hmm. to this day. So much so that I'm probably out of the three of us the only one that's following the actual Billy Corrigan financed NWA. But you are right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, to have to have a new version of Midnight Express come in and be a part of this whole NWA angle in the WWF at the time, it was. Complete and utter horseshits, or, or uh, as Jim Cornette likes to say, the drizzling shits. Yeah, that that's what it was. It was the <laughs> drizzling shits. And this match, it was the same thing. And the only good thing about this was uh, the New Age Outlaws, because uh, n- nothing against uh, Bart Gunn or Bob Holly. I mean, they're both decent workers in the ring, but this this was not uh, not favorable to them.
2: Uh, every time I saw those two team, I just I never saw anything, any chemistry with them either. I think this was—I don't know how long they were teaming before then. I know Bart Gunn was—you know—the year prior he was teaming with Billy Gunn, and they were the Smoking Guns. So I mean, I don't—I just don't know how much time they had together. But it—it it was never—they never wowed me.
1: No, you know, they mm-hmm. never—they
2: didn't look like they had the chemistry. Like it was more of a business relationship. You know, I mean, not saying that like Billy Gunn and Road Dog were best friends. I—I I, I really have no clue, but. They had, they still, they had that it factor where it was, it was a legit tag team, and they were really, they, you know, you could really see that there was the the legit chemistry between the two, and they were just fun guys too. True,
1: very true. You know, and
2: complete opposites <clears throat> compared to, you know, the midnight, the new midnight express, and I, I don't know if I remember this correctly, but the NWA angle from the w, during this time in WWF is really odd because. We're talking attitude era and NWA being there reminded me of the Eastern Championship Wrestling of that that type of stuff. Well, we're NWA, but we're all hardcore now, and it's like, well, we're not actually. We don't want to be part of the NWA anymore, and it's like with with this, it's like here you we were doing this angle with you guys, but you're a complete opposite from what we represent, what we're about.
1: You're absolutely right. That's exactly what it was. And, uh, it just doesn't mix. It, do- it doesn't mix. It was a bad idea from the get-go. You
2: know, we talk about swapping talent and, and having outside talent come to WWE, and I wish something they, w- they would do again, but this was just a bad example. Well, this wasn't even doing-
1: that, technically. It was WWF guys just being saddled into a faction of, oh. N- of NWA guys.
2: So they're just using the name at this point. They were just
1: using the name. and, and That's the, cheesy. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty bad. Um, the match went almost 10 minutes, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we do, after that, we do get back to the, the tournament with the King of the Ring final where Ken Shamrock defeated The Rock by submission, and it went all, a little over 14 minutes.
2: I booked this match. You booked I this booked match? It. I had Ken Shamrock beating The Rock. I had from I remember I don't remember exactly every single match obviously this is twenty years ago, but that entire King of the Ring I had this, I, I remember telling my sister like it's going to be because uh, my sister was watching WWF at the time she was she wasn't quite cool that cool to uh, to be watching wrestling with her little brother, <laughs> so I said it's going to be Ken Shamrock versus The Rock and she said no way and
0: I said yes way, and like, Ken Ken was going to beat The Rock. The curtains were closed so the neighborhood kids wouldn't ride by on their bikes and see her.
2: yeah Yeah, she uh she you know she was your typical junior high too cool for school kind of kind of kind of girl and uh i was her dorky little brother and yeah we'd watch wrestling all the time so yeah ken shamrock was uh was the guy i was referring to again huge ken shamrock mark I hated The Rock at the time. Absolutely despised that dude. I was, I was also a big Farouk fan though. That, too.
1: that means he was doing his job. He man. was
2: doing his job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, now that I'm older, I I definitely can see, I, I see that all the time now. But uh, I was a huge Farouk fan too. So oh. I was I was bummed when uh, he got bumped from the uh, Nation of Domination because of because of uh, The Rock. But uh, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. He was he was a, he was a great heel. He was absolutely a great heel. But uh, I was I was happy to see Ken Shamrock win, and that was kind of like, in my opinion, the beginning of where the disappointing Ken Shamrock comes about. Because again, he wins the King of the Ring, he eventually wins the Intercontinental Title, has a great run, and then and then leaves it's a couple years after this. He just leaves to go back to MMA, and I just thought that was that was such a stupid decision. I mean, if that's your passion, that's your passion, but. I don't know, I, I just don't see how your passion can be to get beat up in your in your 40s and 50s. Because I don't think he's won much since his uh, late return.
1: No, I don't think so either. I mean, I
2: know Tito Ortiz <clears throat> pretty much had his ass, you know, for a number of years, and whatever. I mean, if you, if you enjoy <laughs> getting your ass handed to you every single fight, then
0: whatever. It, well, it's a, it's a shame, too, because, you know, another uh, possible... He could have been a future world champion as yeah, well. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I, I think... Well, I mean, just look at look at when he when he joined uh, NWA TNA. Yeah, he became he's, champ there. He's the NWA World Heavyweight true, Champion. True. He, he's, the, he's the first champion under the TNA moniker and World Heavyweight Champion. That's and right. I forgot. It's like you had you had it all there, and and, and then to hear him say, uh, "Those guys in in pro wrestling just weren't tough enough for me." I'm Like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I. I Obviously, you're not tough enough for MMA. Again, you're you're losing every single fight, pretty much. I, you know, I, I don't know. It's But you're absolutely right. Like, this is a guy that could have been, I don't want to say the next this or next that, but he could have been the next top champion. And, you know, look at the, the in that era, the type of guys he would have been fighting against. You know, Triple H, Stone Cold, Rock, you know, those, well, Rock, he already faced Rock, sorry. But a Kurt Angle you know those guys you know at for for the titles too
0: and i mean even think if he stuck around long enough too that he would have fought the Brock Lesnar that actually meant something one time yeah. at one time that you know, would have been pretty sweet
2: that's that's actually not a bad fantasy book right there is, is Brock Lesnar versus Ken Shamrock at that time but then again even the Brock Lesnar now too because Ken is one of those guys that he 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 would take a shot at Lesnar easily of course, in that match, if if Brock doesn't want to push, he wants to uh, not sell. Then um, you know Ken Shamrock will force to sell. He'll do business for him. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean this, the type of the type of guy that just walked away from wrestling, I just I'll never I'll never understand it. I mean, I, I guess you know you can argue his passion was his passion, but I don't know. To me, I. It's it's a shame. It's it's one of those another big disappointments in wrestling that he uh, he didn't stick around to to bask in his glory.
1: And with that, we uh, go to the first of two main events with the Hell in a Cell match between the Undertaker and Mankind. Um, Obviously, the Undertaker wins. The match goes 17 minutes and is most notorious for the bump that Mankind took off the top of the cage. Which we just watched yeah. uh, minutes ago. Obviously, I, I'm. I think it's safe to say uh, when I say this, this when you say hell in a cell, this is the match everybody thinks of.
2: Hell yes. Yeah, yeah. This this match is synonymous with the with the match for sure.
1: If I remember correctly, he's about to take a bump through the cage. Yeah, that, that's the worst one. Okay. That's, so that's the one. So that gets if it wasn't one. enough that he that mankind took the bump off the top of the cage through he, the uh through he, the table yeah he just got uh he just went through the roof of the cage courtesy of a, a choke slam by the undertaker and uh jim Cornette was part of the 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 agent uh agents or booking committee at this time maybe both uh, i don't honestly remember but uh he definitely comes he does a segment on camera for WWE at some point Stating that they did not know the cage was going to give way At least Foley didn't So Foley was very surprised to take this bump Because it was a bump he did not expect to take uh, Which is why uh, you have Terry Funk and other uh, WWE, WWF personnel in the ring trying to
2: He was so old 20 years ago yeah.
1: Jesus he, they're, they're trying to calm down the situation and attend to Mick Hey, he's wearing
2: sweatpants. Yeah, how classy! With dirty socks. With a, <laughs> with a
0: white John Deere hat. I've never seen that. I'm, yeah, used, to them, I'm used to them being green. green and yellow. You're
1: right. So Must yeah, be yeah.
0: a Texas thing.
2: Jesus. Yeah, that the the choke slam through the the cage was the worst one, according to uh, the man himself, McFoley, uh, because of the surprise, like you said, but he also the chair made impact too when he came down and there was absolutely no give to that ring. The, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. as, as ridiculous as it sounds, the table broke a lot of the fall from the, the drop from the cage, I'm not saying it felt good, but it, it, it definitely <laughs> but was it good. Could,
1: it could have been a lot. It worse. could have been a lot
2: worse. You know, he, to get chokeslammed through that, through the cage and onto that mat. I mean, he, he just smacks flat on it. I mean, it's, it looks it looks pretty nasty, and I, and watching this live, I thought probably like most that oh it was the table that did it, but hearing back and having you know watching Mc, hearing McFully talk about this match many years later, uh, as we see a, a tooth up his nose.
1: That was from the chair.
2: That's from the chair. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we uh, you know he talks about that, that that the bump from from the the roof of the of the cell onto the onto the mat and it's how that was the worst one that he took all night. Um, just, a, again, absolutely incredible thing to watch. Scary, even even 20 years later, it's absolutely scary to watch it too.
1: The chair knocked out his tooth, and uh, one, uh, a few minutes later, you they do a close-up with one of the cameras, and you see him smiling uh, with a blood-filled mouth and a tooth hanging out of his nose. Jim Cornette would go on to say that he actually swallowed the tooth, and the tooth the tooth passed through his nasal cavity and out of his nose. That's how like hard of an impact it was. My goodness! <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs>
2: so, That's the first time I've ever heard that.
1: Yeah, this 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 match is absolutely insane.
2: You know who I I want to hear, and, and maybe when we're getting closer to his retirement, that will actually have a legit documentary of some kind interview. Undertaker, like you're. We always we we've, we've heard McFoley talk about this match. We heard others talk about this match, but because of the uh, the kayfabe, the only time they really like to keep kayfabe 100 percent is with the Undertaker. Seems, and we don't we don't see. I've never I've never personally heard any interviews. No, done. he he
1: doesn't do shoot interviews. He yeah. doesn't do. Uh... And
2: maybe someday, hopefully, when his career is done, maybe he'll sit down and talk about his career. And this is one of them that I would love to hear. Like, what, like, what are you thinking? What is he thinking?
1: Yeah.
2: As he's seeing this, I mean, we again, we talk about Mick Foley, like, how did he survive this? But you know, what about Taker? Like, you know, this is a guy that you, you, I don't, I, if I'm not mistaken, there's a lot of. Like there's a lot of like there's there's it's not a, there's no animosity or anything like that like it's it's a it's a friendly relationship for the most part I, from my understanding and you're putting this guy through through hell and in a cell in a cell yeah <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's I don't know like what what would your thoughts be if you know if you're in that situation and it's like fuck I almost killed that guy on multiple occurrences on
1: multiple occurrences yeah.
2: So, yeah, it, I would love to hear what he has to say about, about this And match. I like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've had dinner with his family.
1: Now, are these the only two bumps, major bumps, that he takes? No, remember? we got
2: thumbtacks, though. Oh, there's still thumbtacks? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot more that happens in this match.
1: Tim White is the referee in this match and hit me hit me to some some Tim White
2: uh I'm still trying to figure out the reason why here but I was we're watching this another match and I saw Tim White and I I just I asked the question like wasn't he the guy that was randomly trying to kill himself like every single week and I was looking it up and it it started in uh, a year after this like around I think it was Armageddon 99 when it started and, like, every single week, he would do some kind of angle where he would kill, try to kill himself. And I think, I don't know how it ended, but I know, I know, that like, there was, like, he tried to hang himself. He tried to shoot himself. And it was it was just weird because for the longest time, they never explained it. It was always, like, we got to stop Tim White from killing himself. Like, that was the angle. Like, where's Tim White at? Oh, he's over here, you know, trying to, like. Uh, down a bunch of rat poison and it's like what's (laughs) going on here like i
1: i want to say this has uh vince russo written all over it because when vince russo was booking uh for the wwf there was a a a lot of it a lot of his approach was everyone had to have a storyline everyone everyone whether it be referee road agent you know, announcer, wrestler, you name it—they all had to have their own little stories going on um, as part of the content. That—that uh, that screams Vince Russo here.
2: Yeah, you know, it's not—it's not 1999. I'm sorry, I apologize. It's actually mid 2000s Armageddon, 2005. Oh, okay. So this is, is post Russo, okay, so but then. I will agree that Vince Russo is is would come up with something like this. Yeah, <laughs> he, who knows? He probably called him up like, "Hey, you know it'd be a good idea, <laughs>
1: just kill yourself like every single week."
2: Like I don't know if they were like trying to do like some kind of Kenny type shit where they just, he just died. I mean, he never died. Like it was it was it was Josh Matthews, uh, not no bloody nose for Josh Matthews. <laughs> I was gonna say something <laughs> about that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you don't know, what we're talking about. Yeah, he well, um, well, well. We'll post it on the on the website. There's uh, plenty of of occurrences where he randomly gets nosebleeds while he's doing commentary. While he's, he's excited. doing commentary, <laughs> he's an excited boy doing commentary. Yeah, he would do the the interview, and then and then Tim White would try to kill himself, and it ended in 2006 when uh, he shot. I don't know if it was by accident, but he shot. Ended up shooting Josh Matthews. And that's how the angle ended. So I guess he just needed to hurt somebody. I <laughs> I, I have no clue. Honestly, got a clue. Um, have fun, not guns. Yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, little little fun fact: He's no longer a referee, but uh, apparently he works security now for autograph
0: signings. So interesting. Good for him, I guess. I don't yeah. know. He's got a job. So, <laughs> <laughs> autograph signings for wrestlers or just any autograph signing? For
2: yeah, for WWE
0: superstars during an appearances and autograph signings. Oh, okay, so that. he still works for the company
2: then. I get. It. I don't really know if cool. he works for the company or if he's uh, yeah, it'd have to be if he's doing a bunch of them. Unless he works for a company that's uh, kind like grandfathered into a nice contract. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, it was it was a weird angle. I I again to this day, if anyone could tell me what that was about, um, or who came up with that crazy idea, I I don't know Vince McMahon. I, you know, that that could very well be too. I mean, you know, Vince, Vince can say, well, I don't know if Vince ever said anything too much about Vince Russo, but uh, say what you want about Vince Russo, but uh, you know, yeah, yeah. He's crazy, crazy, stupid sometimes, a lot of times, but uh, Vince McMahon too is another guy just like, where where do you come up with this stuff? (laughs) And as we're we're talking another, you talked about the, uh, the high spots, there's choke slams on the thumbtacks. And I, I don't know at this point if it's, if he even feels anything anymore.
1: Well, he's, he's, uh, Fo- Foley, Mankind, is credited with, I don't want to say he's a glutton for pain, but he could definitely handle, he had a high pain tolerance. Um, he'd be the first to tell you that. But those those that combination of, of bumps in this match, I am surprised he's still alive. He's still functioning in the match. Uh, the match just ended, but Jesus. I that, am- that, that really was hell in a cell. That was horrible. I remember uh watching his uh his
2: documentary when it came out a few years back now and he goes to the back and Vince was the first one to approach him and he's the one that he he thanks him he's I don't know if I'm quoting this correctly but he's like thank you for everything you did but never do that again. Yeah. And yeah. it's like
1: fuck man. Yeah, Jim Jim Cornette also uh along the same lines of Vince, he also was one of the first people to see uh mick after he came in the back and he was trying to get him out of the locker room and into vince's office because vince's office was one of the only places nearby that had air conditioning and and the fucking locker room was like stupid hot and you know obviously he doesn't feel good he's in a lot of pain the last thing you need to be is in a a highly heated, un-air-conditioned <laughs> un-
0: room. Yeah, be uncomfortable and yeah. in pain. Even more uncomfortable, I should say. With a bunch of men on high-protein diets farting. <laughs> yeah. Especially if Vader's back there. Oh,
1: God, yeah, the with, Vader funk.
0: Yeah, with his nasty uh, ring attire.
2: It's a good thing you did try to shake his hand or hug <laughs> him or anything. <laughs> yeah, but this was, uh, like you said, this was this was that Hell in a Cell match that... Uh, I don't think ever to this day will get topped and nor should ever be attempted to be topped. I mean, we, we talk about Hell in the cell matches, I know I have, and I, I expressed frustration like with the, the undertaker versus triple H one from WrestleMania, uh, a few years back. And I can't remember which number it was and how
0: lame of a hell in a cell match it was. Cause they didn't do anything in there. They, they no, just... I, I think as far as like other hell and cells, and I don't want to get too far off subject, but, uh, the Michaels and Undertaker one, where, where Kane appeared. Yeah, from I, I thought that one was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even that that crazy one at WrestleMania with Undertaker and a Big Boss Man, where he was hanging him. Yeah, that was pretty wild.
1: That you know, the, not the greatest match, yeah, but that was wild. That does not age well. Let me tell you, hanging a fucking guy from <laughs> with a noose and the whole line. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs>
2: um, yeah, you know, and then you know, again with Mick Foley the. Cactus Jack Triple H one from two thousand.
0: Oh yes, how could I
2: forget that's, that? That's a great one too. You know, and then you got some really some myth ones, but over the over the years they, they really they they kind of got back to again. Nothing's ever going to be as physical physical at this, nor should it be. Because again, I mean, you look at McFoley; he got lucky that night. He he could have easily died on a couple of uh, occasions. Um, but again, a Hell in the Cell match. If you're going to do it, we talked about this before, where if you're going to do a specialty match, you, you have to do something special pertaining to that match at some some point. Like we talked about with the, the Women's ladder, uh, Money in the Bank ladder match, for example, where they didn't really know what to do with that ladder. They were too afraid to actually do stuff with that ladder and then, okay, then don't have the ladder match. So like the, going back to the, the Taker Triple H one from that mania, if you're not going to do anything with that cell besides maybe a couple of like, I'm going to bang your face against this and that's it. Why even do a hell in the cell match? What's the point of it? So, I'm glad that over the years, you know, one of the first thing that pops in my head was the Charlotte versus Sasha hell in the cell match. That was fucking good. It was really good. Yeah, nobody's falling off through tables or through a through a cell, but nobody should have to. But it was physical. It was physical. It was
1: physical, and and they were sure to make sure they told the story. Yes, and, then, and that's I think that's the most important part of. Any of any match, whether it's in a in a cage match or, or what have you. You gotta learn how to tell that story. Just like Terry Funk is walking without uh, shoes on right now. Yeah. He, he actually got knocked out of his shoes by the Undertaker. That was and that it, was pretty cool. With his funk you shirt. With his funk you shirt. I still want that shirt. I'm sure you can find it on eBay or somewhere. Yeah. Speaking of which, we're watching this on the WWE network. If you don't already have a subscription, you can find more information on obtaining one on the cheap, through us at 20x20crew.com slash podcast slash WWE Network. That's all one word. Um, Also, the other pay-per-views that uh, Matt just mentioned, you'll be able to find it in our store also at 20x20crew.com. It's it's also a little weird here, too, uh, before we get to the main main event, um, seeing uh, Jim Ross without his Bell's Palsy face on. I think I, I can't remember when the when he had the first bout or, or the one that did did the permanent sagging to his face. But obviously, it's been a while for us. But he's he is uh, Bell's palsy free here at this event, and it's just weird. It's weird to see him like with a regular face, because <laughs> cause it's been so damn long, you know. But uh, now they're showing a video package, basically uh, catching us up on the whole Kane versus Stone Cold Steve Austin feud. Complete with <laughs> complete with uh, Paul Bear, who has lightened up his hair. Uh, originally, the whole idea behind him lighting lightening up his hair, he was supposed to go bleach blonde, and I guess they told him because his his hair was dyed dark for so long, if he were to go straight from really dark to really light, uh, it would have fucked up his hair. So he had to do it in steps, okay. and so they couldn't do it in time. So he's got like a like a like a light brown hair color um, for this event. <laughs> Is there a point for him going? <laughs> um, it was it was just one of those <laughs> things they thought that actually Vince McMahon thought. Here we go again. Yeah, yeah. that would be a good idea. That that would kind of like get him over to be a little more heel. It's 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 like when you told me about Dusty Rhodes,
2: where he just looks at him and says, "I see you in polka dots." That you know what I see you in blonde hair.
1: Listening to uh, (laughs) some podcasts Tony Schiavone has done, uh, he will tell you he is the first he is the first one that's really adamant who's worked for WCW to be on a podcast and tell you that uh, the whole Dusty Rhodes polka dots thing is literally a rib against Dusty Rhodes, and the same thing with uh, Dustin you know Dusty's son Dustin um, becoming Gold Dust. Um, again, it was like a, a little pot shot that Vince McMahon was taking at Dusty Rhodes and in, in WCW. Um, it was like, he was throwing little jabs here and there, anywhere he could do it. Um, naming Vir- naming Virgil, Million Dollar Man's manservant, essentially after Dusty Rhodes, which his real name is Virgil. True. Yeah. So doing little shit like that, just to kind of like, yeah, I got one. I got one back against him. That kind of. Childish kitty bullshit, but yeah, Tony Schiavone will be the first to tell you that. No, uh, that, that's pretty much the the ordeal with all of those things. Getting back to the card here, uh, they're they're still showing. Uh, that's a long video package. Yeah, it's a long video Jesus. package. It's longer than
2: those
0: semifinal matches. <laughs> and, you know, not only that, but they're showing things that don't pertain to this
1: match. They they're yeah, showing they're, dude love in there. Well, they're showing, like, a compilation of stunners. Yeah, yeah look at all these stunners I've done. A over compilation the past of choke month. slams. a compilation of uh, tombstone pile drivers. And this is where Kane has the voice box.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and only these moves can be done in a hell in a cell. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Now, we're we're gonna, we're gonna get to it in a second but i I don't know no, it's raised see for the longest time I thought it was actually done inside of the cell like they just never picked it up
0: well, it wasn't supposed to be it was just the first blood match yeah and yeah. then the cage lowered and they're like I don't know where they're like Fuck it. This looks cool. Uh, let's do it. So it did lower there. I'm not I'm not mistaken by that. It came down? No, it did come down.
1: Yeah, it does come down during the match. I don't know... I don't think it
0: hit the ground, though.
1: Yeah, <laughs> It came I pretty fucking low. Yeah, it's I like somebody fucked up then. Just, yeah, I don't know if it was a fuck up or it was just something that they thought, okay, let's add to it by, by re-lowering the, the cage. But yeah, it does come down during the match...
0: And then, you know, even if it was a fuck-up, it's like, all right, you've already dropped this cage. You can't disappoint these people. Just, you know, you see Vince go, oh, leave (laughs) a (laughs) word Well,
2: I guess my theory is, and with all due respect to Stone Cold and Kane, like, the guy controlling the cage probably like, oh, we already saw our main event. It's time to put this thing down and take it apart. Like, (laughs) fuck it. I don't know what these guys are doing, but show's over. I'm hungry. I want to get dinner. (laughs) I mean, it's... This is one of those things where if you're Kane, Stone Cold, it's like, yeah, we'll go out there and have this match. But, like, I, I, the people are probably just, they're kind of taken out now. You are you just saw that incredible Hell in a Cell match. And now you're going to do this. It's like eh. it's,
1: it's a hard act to follow. Yeah. Definitely a hard act. To follow. <sighs> and I don't
2: care who you are. It's just like, I don't know. What do you,
0: what do, you do? I hear what you're saying 100%. However... This is stone cold, man. This is his fucking heyday
1: right here. Yeah, if, yeah, it, if, if anybody's right. going to do it, he's going to do it. I, I totally agree with you there, but yeah. at the same time, man, it, it is a hard act to follow. No, I, mean, I, I
0: agree with that. Yeah, it's,
1: even, yeah you're even, right. Even with the gasoline canisters and the ring corner. It's filled with hair bleach for Paul Bear. <laughs> I'm
2: trying to figure Oh, wait, I'm reading. I'm re, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that first. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm reading here the reason why we have the gasoline can because uh if king loses this match he's got to set himself on fire that's mm. that's the uh stipulation nice so it's either win the title or get set on set yourself on fire
0: i did not remember that part i that.
2: didn't either i had to read it i i just like what's up with all the gasoline because it's
1: like this is the first blood match i don't know what the fire is all about of course, uh, Stone Cold comes out with the title, and his elbow is heavily taped. Uh, he had a really bad staph infection at the time. Uh, they had went in there and scoped it to get uh, a lot of the the pus out, and uh, so that's why he's heavily taped up. He still works the match. Uh, it I looks look- like he's got a pus in his wrap, though.
2: I mean, look at that. Yeah,
1: I've, like I've personally had. Staph infection, really serious. I almost lost my leg, and it is no bullshit. Let me tell Jesus. you. Jesus. Um, no thanks. The the pus uh, is like really thick, and it it, it kind of comes out like spitballs, like that consistency. So
0: like a Cadbury chocolate egg. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of. It's it's gross nonetheless. So for him to for him to be for him to be wrestling right now is is a feat in and of itself because when i was down with that shit oh my god so if you got a staph infection does it does it
2: affect other parts of your body do you get fever or it affects your entire body okay
1: you get fever it it, it, think of like having really bad flu without the puking and it's just
0: coming out of your body parts and
1: then like 10 times the body ache yeah yeah
0: okay well, I mean, let's 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 mention too that like how Austin rushed that fucking ring, man. Yeah. And he just went at it. Kane, He's running them ropes.
1: Yeah. There's there's no there's and, no there's yeah. no fucking chill with Austin. He came in. He came in to wrestle. You
0: know. It also makes you kind of think too. Like you know, he told you that time he wrestled Yokozuna. He drank a, a a pot of coffee and then he shit his pants when he got slammed. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he shit his pants here, but to keep him going like that, he probably had about you know a pot of coffee. That's why you wear black. <laughs>
2: I don't remember too much of this match. I, I know. I mean, I'm reading it here too, but I know uh, Kane. Kane wins his match, and if I'm not mistaken, Taker comes out. Is that is that how it goes? Taker comes out, and I think he hits Awesome by mistake, or if he hit him on. I don't. I don't remember. I think. I think
0: it is something like that.
1: I don't remember right offhand, but uh, this was one of the only Attitude Era matches. Uh, that my daughter has watched so far and she came up with something that I never even fucking thought of and that was if this was a first blood match how come Kane is able as we see the the cage come down slowly how come Kane is able to have an all red jumpsuit on especially covering his arms
0: just in case they fucked up,
1: and and a mask. She's like, "How the hell are you supposed to tell if he's bleeding or not unless he's bleeding on his hands?" So, and you're right. That's probably definitely helped the situation in case in case there was a. a, a I missed, appreciate Young Booker's, by the way. Yeah, a miss spot or something <laughs> to where he actually bled first. But yeah, she she noticed that right offhand. I'm like, wow. I, you know what? I've I've watched this how many times, and I never thought of that
2: before. She ain't no Vince Russo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, it's
2: gotta come down like and Austin's like right there. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's it's actually coming down slow, but it, it hasn't come down all the way. Like uh if Kane is standing up, straight up, it's like right about even with his pecs at this point. And now it's gonna go a little bit lower, a little bit lower. Wait, oh so yeah. It it doesn't it trap Austin? It does trap yeah, Austin. It does trap okay. Austin. As we see the uh the tons of signs at ringside this one says (laughs) when you hear the glass that's your ass i love that one that's pretty good
2: i I don't recall any of it i thought it was already i I, like they're just pretty much like fuck we're not raising this cage i i never knew it came down again i just don't remember that but yeah i just remember it was weird it was like why are they still doing this in the cage
1: yeah it's coming down on austin right now he's trying to Get out of the corner. Kane wins the the match here,
2: wins the title. He holds on to it for a total of twenty four hours, if
1: that. Yeah. If that, the yeah, ma- The match goes take. about sixteen minutes. Uh, we were talking about this uh, before we started recording. The next night, they are actually in Chicago, and uh, <laughs> Kane loses the belt the next night on Raw. I know uh, you and I
2: are talking about <laughs> these type of title changes, and not much of a fan of that.
1: No, but, not at all. But you know what? It, as long as you're telling the story, like I said, if uh, in a previous episode, if, as long as you're telling that story, and, and you're doing your job, the the title, it, everything will fall into place. You won't you won't have to worry about the legit, legitimacy of your title. You won't have to worry about your title uh, losing heat or losing shine, no matter what the situation may be. I w- I wonder what the what was the point though? Like what was
0: what was the idea behind her? Like, hey, we're going to have you lose the title. Is for it so day. they could say that he's been a champion? Cocaine? When they put when they, when they put him in other main events? Yeah, I guess so. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to make sense I of mean,
2: it. I mean, we saw that with Jack Swagger. we like, this guy's a former world champion.
1: You it
0: it like, could have been that. Yeah. You know
1: what? <laughs> it also could have been an insurance policy just in case Austin was not able to make it to the next night on Raw because of the staff. The staff uh, that's
2: a good point. I mean... Because, you know, WWE doesn't like having their champions uh, not be at the show. You know, that doesn't happen ever. Oh, no. No, just... <laughs> no and you don't take that belt hostage. <laughs> never. That does not It happen. could
0: never show up on another show. <laughs> never.
2: You know, if you are a champion, you show up at Raw every single night with that belt.
0: Isn't that right, Brock? <laughs> since we're talking about this, like this one night, holding the title for one night and losing it, the, you know, the next night... I believe now we're gonna have to check into this. If my memory serves me correct, I think a few months prior to this, this happened in WCW to Macho Man. He won the belt at uh, what was that one? It was like a like a Stampede pay per view. Spring Stampede. Spring possibly. Stampede. And I think he beat didn't he beat Ric Flair for the belt, and then Hogan beat him the next night. That's on night yeah. That, that and sounds... I you know that's also a twenty year thing. Uh, I I believe it was a few months prior to this.
1: We'll have to definitely do the research. I'm I'm not sure right off the top of my head, but it does sound like a WCW move for <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I we laugh, but at the same time, you got to think. Um, who's who's obviously drawing them? Who who traditionally draws money for them at this point, And it's Hogan. Well, it's also WCW, and from the, the interviews that I I read
2: or I've seen, I should say it's. You know, guys like Macho Man and Hogan, they just—you know—you you didn't know what the storyline was because it's like whatever they wanted to do that night. So I, I can see them saying like, "All right, rock, paper, scissors—you you can win the pay-per-view, but then I get it at Nitro."
1: Unfortunately, that's what happens when you have creative <laughs> control in your contract. So. Yeah,
2: that's exactly. And I remember, I remember, uh, you know, hearing DDP saying, Mach uh, Mach being so generous and hey, like uh, you're gonna win the night, kid." Yeah. Oh. Okay, thanks.
1: You know, it's like,
2: whoa, whoa, whoa. Who the fuck gave you all that permission? But, you know, that's, again, that was in her contract.
1: (laughs) WCW did. WCW gave that permission. So uh, I'll let you know if you're going to win tonight or not. Oh, okay, whatever. Definitely throws the the booker's plans uh, out the window when you have something like that in a contract that you have to adhere to. (laughs) <laughs> um, I always hear Tony Schiavone in my head when you and I go, or any all three of us go to book fantasy matches because he's such a proponent of you know what? If you have time to comment on it, why don't you why don't you go and actually try to book shit? You go to a show and try to book shit because it's so hard. It's hard because there's multiple factors involved and we we as fantasy bookers make it sound so easy like yeah that guy will work with that guy no problem yeah. you know and unfortunately that's not always the case i e this whole uh creative control aspect of of anyone's contract that was that's just wow. I, I i i don't know how
2: they could come up with something like that and think it's going to work but and obviously it didn't but uh I guess it's one thing where WWE has always kind of gotten it right for the most part. I'm not saying that guys don't have creative control, but it's not at the level of WCW by any means.
1: I know Bruce Prichard, I'm not sure if he was here with the company at this point, but he'll be the first to tell you that uh, him as a booker would always look at the any, any championship, whether it be singles or tag or whatever, they were just props to him. And it was his challenge to go and create the story around that championship so he he tried to make sure that the championship was still relevant no matter what they were doing to it and that includes the hardcore title which you know always had that stipulation if there was a ref around it could be defended so there there was always there's always that uh again i'm not saying that bruce pritchard has anything to do with this one uh specifically but just goes to show you some of the different kinds of uh Points of view when it comes to titles and title changes, not just with the WWF at this point, but uh, wrestling in general. Yeah, the cage has been lifted up again to probably about even with the top rope almost.
0: Just, it just—it makes no sense.
1: Yeah, it's just up and down, up and down. I'm
0: yeah. <laughs> like, oh, because Undertaker is gonna come in now, <laughs> <laughs> and he's tall. <laughs> <laughs> he's taller than our cameraman.
1: <laughs> and you know what, if that's the case, I, that I wouldn't doubt because, especially after Foley taking the bumps, like, they wouldn't want Taker to climb, climb in, <laughs> <other>, you know? <laughs> like, fuck that. We already had one guy almost die tonight. We don't need you doing it. As I'm
2: as I'm watching, it, every, every time that uh, we talk about anniversaries in the 90s, I, I look at some of these haircuts around here, and I see a guy... With uh, that bowl shaped haircut.
1: Yes, very, very Mo from Three Stooges.
2: You, uh, any of you guys ever rocked anything like that? Hell yeah. You got the bowl haircuts?
0: I had that for a while. Yeah, that, and I'll have you know, youngling, <laughs> uh, it was called the skater cut. Oh, okay. All I right. mean, thus, I was never a skater. I think I tried skateboarding for about three days and I quit. But just to have you know, yes, I did for a short while. Until uh, I grew it out.
1: No, you know what? I never rocked the bowl cut or the skater look, uh, what have you. I usually had the classic, like uh, slick back parted on the left hand side for for a long time. Yeah. And then in high school, I actually had hair down to the back of my, or n- not the back, the the middle of my back, like right below my shoulder blades.
0: Scott Hall the good B- motherfucker. believe it or yeah. not, yeah, and rocking long hair.
1: Yeah, uh that was the only time. It got it just got to be too fucking much. I could not stand it, especially in the summertime. Good fucking God, no thank you. You know,
2: you know I'm mine? No, no, no? thanks. Oh, okay. No.
1: Yeah, currently for those of you interested, I'm I'm rocking the the toilet bowl haircut, aka the Caesar. Uh, <laughs> I have I have been for some time. Um but you but, have a
2: glorious beard though.
1: Thank you. You know what? Yesterday, uh, during my MRI, uh, the the uh, the MRI attendant told me I had quite the epic beard. So, there you go.
2: I can't grow facial hair, ladies and gentlemen. I can, but
1: uh, I'll tell you how to do that after the yeah. after the podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it looks like hair from another part of the body. That's what my facial hair looks like. I'm just lazy. I don't. I. I'm married, I'm and I don't really care what I look like. That's <laughs> that's what my fishing hair looks like. <laughs> but that's uh that's that's King of the Ring in a nutshell. That's King of the Ring. Yeah, Twenty years ago
1: King of the Ring ha- King of the Ring ninety eight happened. Yes. Um, and uh it featured the ominous Hell in the Cell match with Mankind versus Undertaker. Uh I gotta I gotta stop and say thank you to Obviously, every performer on the card, but m- most importantly, uh, Mick Foley and The Undertaker, for even being agreeing to be in such a match and taking those fucking bumps for for my entertainment all these years later. So it it was definitely I I'll never forget this. <laughs> I haven't forgot it since it happened. It's definitely one of the pay per views that I've watched over and over and over again. Yeah. So,
2: like like I said, this was the first pay-per-view I ever uh, rented. And I already knew the results. I just, when I saw it at the video store, uh, if you guys remember what those are, um, as <laughs> I, I, we're watching Mick Foley just out of nowhere, miraculously, he's still walking. He's running yeah. down the, the ring. Uh, I, I, when I saw it, I was like, I, I got to watch this again, over and over and over again. This and uh, Royal Rumble, from, also from 98, were the ones I, I just got the most. Yeah, absolutely. Like you know, thank you for to, to Mick Foley, definitely in order as he takes Stone Cold Stunner. My God, you talk. We're talking about this twenty years later. Not just like where were you in history twenty years ago, but like it's still relevant today. We still talk about. You still see highlights from Mick Foley in in this uh, in this match today, and when you can, you can survive twenty years, as far as highlights go uh that that that's really just stands testament to what exactly you did that night so uh yeah it was it was a good show overall there was a couple filler matches in there but you know it is what it is i enjoyed the king of the ring tournament that year i remember that not just because not just from the two match three matches i should say from the night but the entire tournament from you know from the the tv tournament as well uh and i remember what also being a, a fan of the X-Pac Owen Hart match. That was a really good match. Uh, I wish those guys would have had a, a longer rivalry, personally. And again, Stone Cold Steve Austin, this was the, the Austin era. And so anything that he's in is uh, is a big deal. And, you know, it's it's one of those things, too, where you look back at it and it's like... It's not just nostalgia, it's a little bit of sadness, man, because, like, man, I wish... You know, especially a guy like Stone Cold Steve Austin, man, I wish he was still, still around today, you know? I wish he was... A, yeah, at this point, he probably would be retired, or at least semi-retired, if he was physically able to do stuff on a regular basis, wrestle, I should say. But you really missed this era for 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 everything that it was. It was such good, good overall storytelling, man. And you know, people can say, "Oh, it was, it was too graphic, or it was too this, or too that, or too adult-oriented." It was just great storytelling, and it was just great in-ring action. Even even guys who weren't necessarily the best wrestlers. They put on great matches, and this was another example of, of that for me. That uh, that the Attitude Era was will always be one of my favorite eras in professional wrestling. So that's my take on uh, King of the Ring '98.
1: Your last thoughts here, as we see Austin bloodied to hell and uh, losing the match, Mr. Wrestling Six.
0: It was just a great time for wrestling. I mean, look at this crowd, man. I mean, everybody was excited. Everybody was having a good time. Everybody was acting nuts. And I'm not saying where everybody, you know, was doing stuff to, like, get themselves kicked out or, you know, jump on the guardrail or anything. But everybody was enthusiastic, man. There was a lot of connection there. Everybody was just enjoying it. You know, jumping out of their seats, yelling, hollering, man. Just getting crazy. Just loving it.
1: The amount of signs in the audience. Oh, yeah. That was, that was... (laughs) That was something to see. I mean, obviously, we we've been to shows back then and and what have you, and we we got to see see our fair share of signs. Say that five times fast. Unfortunately,
2: <laughs> one's right in front of us. <laughs> Put your sign down. <laughs>
1: but um, yeah, there was a hell of a lot of uh, poster board out there in that audience.
2: When you when you have a fan base that is willing to. Take even a little bit of time on out of their day to make a sign for your show, uh, that speaks volumes of your show. And uh and now I'm not gonna get into WWE and, and, and signs because we can go on about that, but uh that just goes to show you again what the attitude era meant to a lot of people. It was it was definitely a I don't use the word revolution, but it was it was definitely a revolution in wrestling for that for that era. I mean, it was it was it was the place to be, you know, I mean even even the uh, quote-unquote cool kids were were wrestling fans for me growing up. Where afterwards, you know, come the the two thousands, I was I was again the geek because I still like professional wrestling. And oh, that used to be cool.
0: Yeah, you know, I <laughs> yeah. liked that when Stone Cold and The Rock were in there. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah you get that all the time. <laughs> I, I wore an NWO shirt. and I get laughed at like oh NWO like you still wear that like dude it's the, still the coolest to me like whatever you know. And you know you're gonna say that to me, but you're you know you're wearing a lame ass Nirvana shirt. Like screw you. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's um, it was such a great time. It It's another great. I, I love doing these anniversary shows because you know it takes you back. It takes me back to to the to the good old days. You know, I even mean, even to watch it with my sister again. She was before she was too cool for school and too cool to school for wrestling. You know, she was watching this with me, and it was it was it was really cool. It was one of those things where. You're, I love to look back and 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 hear your stories on where you guys were on this day and you know and share my stories yeah you know, I know there's an age difference and but at the same time even though we were at different parts of our lives whether we knew each other or we didn't know each other I didn't know you guys then obviously um, the same feeling was there but you know at that for those three hours we were doing the exact same thing you know and we we had the same love for 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 wrestling man and that's that's what this this what the shows of this podcast is all about. Is about sharing our love for wrestling and um, yeah, I'd love to hear all of your thoughts out there of where you guys were doing King of the Ring nineteen ninety eight. Were you watching on legitimate cable? <laughs> or were you like the criminals fucking over thief. here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, it's, yeah, it was it was a great time, man.
1: Absolutely. Um, this is going to do it for our anniversary show. Once again, 20 years ago on this day, King of the Ring 1998 happened and we would never be the same. So until next time, this is Matt, Mr. Wrestling Six and myself saying, we'll see you in the ring.